Hey, GF, what's up? Pastor Rod here. So glad y'all are tuned in. Um, we are beginning a brand new series on justice. And so I'm excited for that. Thankful for that worship that has gone before us. I pray uh, you all are engaging in worship as we're singing praises to our God. And so, man, again, I want to encourage you, as always, to share this link. Uh, if you have questions, comments, thoughts, ideas, would you drop those in uh, our comment section there? Man, talk back to me. I can't hear you. I'm looking in the camera. But man, talk back to me. I'd love to hear how you're processing uh, this series. Um, we, Like I said, we're beginning a series on justice. And I want to answer the question, uh, why are we doing this series? I believe God's called us uh, to be people that hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And we do not interpret, uh, we don't take our newspaper and interpret God's word. No, we take God's word as our lenses in which we view what's happening in our world. And so it's not a, always an easy task. Sometimes it's a very difficult, complicated one. But he still causes us to let the word of God be the lenses in which we see what's happening. And so I, I want to help you process biblically um, how we respond to issues of injustice and how God's calling us to be active in justice. I believe God's calling us. Man, more than ever before in my life, he's calling us to be involved in issues of justice in our world. And so it's to that end that, that we're doing this six-part series. I, I, I believe it's going to be impactful to you. At the end of this, this sermon, I'm going to give you the six topics and where we're going and how we're addressing them. Uh, so I want to encourage you to, to pay attention. I want to encourage you to invite others into the space. And let's go ahead and dive into God's word together. What time is it? Cool. Let's get it. Man, I'm in Micah. We'll start out here. Micah 6. And we'll start at verse six. It says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves of a, a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams? With ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? In other words, what can I render in light of my sin? Here's what he says. He's told you, O man, O woman, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and mercy? And to walk humbly with our God, do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God. Let's go before God in prayer. and We're going to jump in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are clear even when we're unclear. Thank you, God, that you don't change. You are unchanging. And even when times feel new to us, because these times do feel new, we feel as if I feel as if I've not lived in this day before and I see my deficiencies. Yet you are unchanging. God, I thank you that you love us and walk with us and are patient enough to reveal to us the things where we're lacking. So, God, would you be in me today? Would you speak through me your word to your people that we may grow thereby 
that we'll be nourished and built up and encouraged and fueled to do the work that you've called us to do. So we thank you for that and bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about three things this morning under the banner of the God of justice. I want to talk to you about one, God of justice, two, the man of justice, and three, the people of justice, God of justice, man of justice, people of justice. A couple years ago, I was, when I began my, my, my doctoral work, I was in a class, uh, part of a cohort of about nine guys, and we're working on this work. And, and, and when we meet a couple times a year, we'd go on different tours in different places, depending where we were. And we were in the nation's capital. We were in Washington, D.C. And, and early one morning, we were scheduled to go to the headquarters, the national headquarters of the Salvation Army and tour the facility and talk with the CEO and so on and so forth. And so we're touring this facility and uh, taking us through their, 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 their operations. We're talking about funding. We're talking about mission and vision and value. And then they take us into this section where they keep a lot of their archives. And we're being given a presentation by one of the workers there. And in this presentation, she's taken us through the story of Mr. William Booth, a young pastor who lived uh, long ago, I think early 1900s or so. And he was doing ministry and, and, and would pass by prostitutes on the street, the homeless on the street, the marginalized, those that were on the edges of society. And he had this vision in which he saw those that were marginalized needing salvation and a place in which they can belong and then be deployed on mission together. He would look at these people and he would see not just people that were not valued or did not have dignity. He would see them as an army, hence the name Salvation Army. So he began to to launch this ministry and people from all over would come and, and, and millions over the life of this ministry that's still continuing today would come to know who Jesus is. And it's having a huge impact on that society at the time, so much so that when they are doing legislative reform, they are looking at the book that William Booth wrote in order to determine how best to implement social initiatives. Get the picture. The church is informing the government, not the other way around. And so he would launch this ministry and it would go far throughout uh, uh, the, uh, England and London. And it, it would go down into the Caribbeans and it would set up ministries in, in, in Haiti and in, in Jamaica and in, in, and in Barbados. In about 1974, my father is walking down the streets in Bridgetown, Barbados, and he hears this band playing. And because of his love for music, he, he turns in to this band that is playing and he's attracted to these musicians and their skill. And so he's inclined to draw closer. And as he's listening to these musicians, someone comes up and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my father surrenders his life to the Lord Jesus on that day and his life and trajectory for his life and including mine because I'm his son, his forever change. He decides to go to the United States and to become a preacher of the gospel. What I saw 
in D.C., as I looked at those archives, were literature that talked about how the gospel expanded all the way to Barbados. And as a result, and our whole family lineage was changed. You see, William Booth didn't just do church in the four walls, excluded, concerned about his four no more, just talking about issues of piety and self-righteousness. No, he saw those that were on the margins as people that God had called him to do justice to and with. Beloved, I believe God's called us in the same way to show the world that he is, in fact, a God of justice. Now, this isn't Rodney's idea to call God a God of justice. This is what God calls himself. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 58, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, he says this. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait on him. You see, justice is not man's idea. It is not a social construct. Justice is, in fact, uh, a part of who God is. He is multifaceted. So he is love and joy and peace. But he is also intertwined in all that he is a God of justice. You need to know that. I need to know that. Justice in the Hebrew is this word mispat. And what it means is it means that we are moving to repair or to restore things that are broken. You can somewhat simplify and it's very complicated because this word has many definitions and meanings, but you, could, you can kind of simplify it as joining Christ in the renewal of all things. Justice is giving people what they're due and there are three facets to it. Here's the first one. Punishment. And this is probably the word that we have in mind when we use the word justice. We think about it as I want justice for so and so. And so we would say that there needs to be some kind of punishment for the infraction that happened. Sometimes that's really clear. Sometimes that's really difficult. But in our Western eyes, we see justice as punishment. But there's more to this word justice than just punishment. There's also protection. You see, protection is this idea of of equity or or giving people value and dignity, treating people as if they are made in the image of God. When I do justice, I don't see uh, someone that doesn't deserve anything from me. I see people as people that are made in the image of God. They have dignity, they have value and they have worth. It doesn't preclude that they are sinless. What it does inform me of is this is someone that's made in the image of God. And so they matter. They matter. If I could pause parenthetically and say black lives matter. To many texts I would read there is this if this author was to come across the idea of black lives matter, I think he would say, duh. Hello. Genesis would inform us when we're made in the image of God, we matter because lives matter. So I can say black lives matter unapologetically without subscribing to the movement of black lives matter. Because some of those things that they believe I don't get down with. 
Anyway, I'm a part of a movement that is far more encompassing, that has far more skin in the game, that has a better track record of having real change inside of communities worldwide throughout all of human history. It's, it's this movement of the church of Jesus Christ. And so I want to say you could be a part of the church of Jesus Christ and still say unapologetically Black Lives Matter because those two are not mutually exclusive. without having to co-sign on various movements. We matter because we're made in the image of God. And so justice speaks to punishment. Justice also speaks to protection, treating people with equity and value, but it also speaks to care, that when I do justice, I am caring for the least of these. I'm caring for people that may not have what I have. And so justice also calls me to show mercy and to show grace to all of humanity. And this justice, this this three, this this tripod of justice, as I look at an actual tripod now, this this protection and this punishment and this care, this this tripod of justice. Does not is not something that is constructed. It's who God is. When I talk about doing justice, I'm not saying do this extra thing. Justice is who God is. He is a God of justice. And so when he moves in justice, he's moving out of his character. As a matter of fact, the only reason why you and I have this cry for justice, and I think it's legitimate. So it's we are crying out for the attribute of God himself. The reason why we know what justice is. It's because we have a just God. And this is hard for us to sometimes see him as a God of justice, because sometimes he doesn't move as fast as we want him to move. Or he doesn't always do what we want him to do. And I want to I want to start by laying for us. And this is just the introduction. I'm going to get to where you're going, but I just want to lay for us a high view of God so that we don't talk about God like you talk about someone else. Hmm. And bring him into your court of judgment. He's God. Uh, he, he, he's not like you. He's he's otherworldly. He is holy. He is transcendent. He is he, he cannot stand sin. And it's not like, well, I really can't stand sin. Like it's his opinion. No, he he cannot stand in the presence of sin. This is this is his holiness and his righteousness. And there's none like him. And there's no other God like our God. And so when when we talk about him being a God of justice, we also have to remember he is otherworldly. And he is the originator and the protector of justice that flows out of his character. So we already read Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, where he calls himself a God of justice. Look at Malachi 2, verse 17. Listen to what it says. You have wearied the Lord with your words. You have wearied him. You've asked by saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. Man, it seems like people get away with murder and they can still be good with God. Those that do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And then they say, look at the text. And he is pleased with them. 
They are they are throwing indictments at God. Look at the final thing they say. And where is this God of justice? I mean, I love that question. And if I'm honest, there are times throughout the past two or three months that I've asked that same question. God, where are you? God, where is your justice in this situation or in that situation, in that case or in this case? Where is your justice and why do you allow injustice to continue? I mean, just this past week, I am sitting at the table there in my home and uh, my, I'm stumbling across on my feed yet another video of a young man who is picking up trash in front of his university building. And police officers begin to engage him in this conversation, just leads uh, to this to this monumental event. Of where this young man is harassed and eventually someone from the university has to come vouch that he has the right to be in front of his own building and pick up trash as a part of his work for the university. And as I'm watching that, something's happening to me because I'm thinking, man, when does this stop? When does injustice cease? comes very clear in my mind that my my frustration with injustice should drive me to the God of justice. That when I'm asking that question, God, where are you in this? God, I can't see you, trace you, sense you. It, it, it is an indication that your soul needs to be re refreshed with who this God of justice is. And we see this all throughout scripture, whether it's Adam and Eve in the garden and how they sin against God and God pronounces judgment. He banishes them from the from the garden, but he also kills an animal and provides for Adam and Eve clothing, which is symbolic of another sacrifice that would happen because of our sin. Or whether his 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 dealing with a whole whole population of people that have gone wrong. And and in, in, in Genesis, he 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 brings the flood and he and he deals with humanity. But the Bible says, but Noah found grace in his sight. And it wasn't that Noah was so good. It was that God was so gracious. And we can go over and over. We can talk about a whole nation being in bondage by another nation. We can talk about the oppressor and those that are oppressed and, and this injustice of slavery happening to the nation of Israel and all of the social ills that are surrounded in that enslavement. And so God sends the great vindicator Moses to come in and deliver his people from bondage. This God of justice is a God of grace and a God of mercy. I'm reading one of the books I'm reading is this John Perkins book called Let Justice Roll Down. And in it, he says, justice without grace leaves us thirsty. So when we when we talk about justice and we await justice and we should, when we cry out for justice and we should, when we when we desire to see justice executed and we should remember that that inclination, it comes from a holy and righteous God. But also remember that if we really were to get the justice that's due to us. It would destroy us. Rodney, what do you mean? You see, there's a problem for us with this God of justice. If justice is rendered to us fully, 
our due punishment for our sins. It would consume us because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. And if God would just say, you know what, Rodney, it's okay. I know you sin, but I'm just going to turn my eye. I'm just going to let you in and just don't worry about it. Then that God would not be just. So here we have this God that must punish sin. And we have these people that are fully um, 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 should, should be given over to God's judgment about sin. These two things are true. So God enacts justice on sin, on the man of justice, Jesus Christ, who is the just one, he's righteous, and the justifier, the one that atones for sin. He, he, he doesn't deserve this, this, this wrath of God enacted upon him because he's done no sin, but he goes to the cross in my place and receive the full wrath or the full justice of God for my sin. This is the great transfer. And I get what I don't deserve and he got what he didn't deserve. You see, when we talk about justice, the backdrop of it has to be the cross, has to be the gospel. Because as we do justice, we love mercy and we walk humbly before our God, which makes us uniquely different than just people on the left and people on the right. Your typical, your typical conservative and your typical liberal have trouble when the gospel is the backdrop. Because now the conversation becomes much more nuanced. So as a people, as we cry out for justice and we should, we have to be we have to remember that we've been ransomed, not by power. Our power didn't ransom us. Our race didn't ransom us, whether we're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, your ethnicity didn't ransom you, your your gender didn't ransom you. Your money doesn't ransom you, how much of it you have or how much of it you don't have. You've been ransomed by sheer grace. Something you couldn't earn and something you don't deserve. This gospel backdrop has to be in our mind as we think about justice. And this same man of justice, Jesus Christ, accomplishes our salvation on the cross. But look what he says in Luke chapter four, verse 18. Look what this man of justice says and how he begins his ministry. That the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he goes out in his ministry and preaches and teaches, but he doesn't stop there. He feeds and he serves and he meets tangible needs. He cleanses and he and, and he raises from the dead. So it's 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 the air game of gospel proclamation. Yes, we have to preach the gospel, but we also have to serve people tangibly. This man of justice doesn't just come to die. He comes to serve as we await him coming to reign.
Thirdly, the people of justice. This word justice also speaks to righteousness or right standing. It means that we are right with God and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. See, justice teaches us that that justice and righteousness is not solely personal. I don't know about you, but growing up in church, I often thought that to be to be righteous was about what Rodney would do and what Rodney would not do. His 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 attending to and locking in on doing what was right and what was wrong. I don't know if you grew up in churches like that. But that's how I grew up. And so, man, righteousness for me was don't do that and do this. Don't do that and do this. Rodney. And it was always about Rodney, 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 Rodney. But this, the, the word justice here doesn't just speaks to solely my own piety before God. It speaks also to me putting right my relationship with people. I say this often. I believe I said this last time I preached. I said that it is not just private. It is, is, it is us in community. And justice speaks of the same thing. That we should be people that are serious about putting relationships right with others. And this has implications on how we serve. In particular, those with the least amount of power need special attention. This is why the Old Testament contains many reminders that Israel must do justice to the poor, to the widow, to the immigrant and to the orphan. As a matter of fact, that's that's giving a little bit of the layout of this series. I'll tell you that in just a bit. And doing justice meant not only not doing wrong, but actively doing right and restoring what is broken. In other words, when we talk about justice, we cannot just say this, but I didn't do anything wrong. But I didn't stop that person from making that decision. So I'm not involved in anything that, that has to do with restoring that justice is not just about, well, I didn't do anything wrong. It's about because when Christ stepped in for you, when he didn't do anything wrong. We are now called to move in that same way and step in for others when we didn't do anything wrong or so we think. Beloved, you are. I love you. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're destitute. You're 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 broken. So don't don't pledge your innocence. Pledge your dependency on Christ. And if he moved in for you when you could move in for yourself, then move in for others by the grace he provides. Zechariah seven, eight through ten. I love this. Says this, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says Administer true justice, show mercy, compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. These four are often mentioned over and over again in scriptures the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor. So we can't neglect these groups of people. When we talk about doing justice, it's not just a legal term and fighting for stuff in a legal way. It's also moving with compassion to those that are on the fringes of society. Yes, we should fight 
for justice. Yes, and amen to that. We should fight uh, for police reform. Yes, and amen to that. It's an initiative that, that Gospel Fellowship is involved with. But I get this question all the time. Rodney, how do I do justice? Well, look at the people around us and move with compassion towards them. Psalms 146, verse 7 through 9 says this. He executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrants to sustain the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. If God is concerned with the marginalized, if God is concerned with the poor, if God is concerned with the hungry, if God is concerned with the orphan, if God is concerned with the prisoner, we cannot turn a blind eye. Justice is more than your Facebook posts. It's more than your comments on Instagram. It's more than that. There's, there's a whole world out here that needs people that have been transformed by the gospel to move out of that transformation into the lives of those that need it. And we do this with good news. This is not becoming a social service agency. We do this with good news, but we move in action towards the least of these. Proverbs 31.8 says this, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. One of the ways we do justice is we speak up. We speak up. We say what is right, even when what is right is, quote unquote, obvious. We speak up because that person that we're speaking up for does not have a voice. So we advocate for them. Rodney, well, how do I do justice? We speak up for those that don't have a voice. Jeremiah 22, verse three says this. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. This is the Bible I'm reading. Do not wrong or do violence to the immigrant or the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Look at what he says. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor, the one who has been robbed. God calls his people to be actively involved in, in, in doing justice in a way that leads to freedom for people. There are so many implications. I won't get into the weeds of it now. But I just want you to see God's heart for justice and his clear call for the church to be people of justice. Lastly, Job, verse 29, verse 12 through 17 says this. I rescue the poor who cry for help and the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I took up the case 
of the immigrant. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victim from their teeth. Do you see the active confrontation for those that are oppressed? Listen to what the text says. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victim from their teeth. We can't do this behind the four walls of a church. If I'm going to do justice, I'm going to be actively engaged. I'm going to be confronting broken systems and, and, and places where people are oppressed so that the light of the gospel comes in. Yes and amen. But also that there are tangible needs that are meant to help that person be renewed, be restored. My hope is what you're seeing from the scriptures is that this issue of justice is calling us to be actively engaged. So the question is, what does that look like? So on the phone with the young man yesterday who asked me that question. So Rodney, what does that look like? How do I, how do I follow this call to be people of justice? Well, that's a whole sermon in that question, but I want to at least begin the conversation. So maybe what that can look like is serving young members of our community, young teenagers, young, young children in our community and sharing the gospel with them, maybe hosting an activity that they're involved with, something like what Urban Youth Impact does in our very own Luther Menard and the work that he does for justice with the young population there. Or maybe it's working with young mothers um, who may have gotten pregnant unexpectedly and are considering what to do and which direction to take and, and how do we come alongside them, walk with them, share the gospel with them so that they can grow thereby. They can be encouraged to to go all the way in this pregnancy and have this, this child that God would, would redeem and save and, and use this child for his glory. Maybe something like what's done in You Moms, led by Vicki Horn and her whole host of team, teams that work with her to do that. Maybe it's looking at the need in our community and seeing that for, for, for some members of our community, there is a real need for some mental health counseling, but for various reasons, some may be financial, some may just have trepidation about counseling. Maybe they are skeptical about sitting with the counselor, getting those services. What would it look like if someone washed by the blood of Jesus would just say, you know what, I'm going to step into this place. I'm going to start this 501c3. I'm going to recruit some counselors and we're going to find a place to do this counseling. We're just going to provide uh, some counseling for members of our community at super discount rates so that they can get the services that they need. Maybe something like renewing the mind and what Sister Lawanda is starting. Maybe it's something like looking at, you know, how many kids at, at just our local school, Boynton Beach High School, are going to college and what, what are some things we can do to help them along that process and, and make sure they understand what the scholarship is and how to fill it out and, and what tests they're going to be asked to take and, and what entry exams look like and begin to answer all these questions, not by just theory and, and maybe sending an email, but walking with these students week in and week out until eventually they're offered full-time scholarships at top-notch universities within our state. 
maybe something like career coaching and the work that Lynn Gasson is doing. You see, the reason I'm reading off those names really slowly is because it's not like we're looking for this super big thing. And Elder Sam, who spends time with his kids playing basketball in, in different tournaments uh, throughout uh, the state of Florida, and, and, and just his impact on sharing the gospel with parents and, and bringing God into conversation with his coaching and, 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 and with the kids there. This isn't rocket science. This is, this is being a good Samaritan. This is seeing a need having compassion for a need and moving out and serving in that need. So I don't want us, even as we go through this series and, and, and it's layered and it's, and it's nuanced and it, it's complicated, but I also don't want us to overcomplicate things. We're probably more aware with justice initiatives than we know, yet there's still a clear call for us to move even deeper into things of justice. Work like, uh, by the grace of God, was invited. Just work with some police chiefs. Got a call, Rodney, do you want to be on a call with 13 police chiefs in the state of Florida, throughout the state of Florida, Tallahassee on down, Dade County, Broward, Tampa. Do, Rodney, do you want to be on this call? Yes, I want to be on this call. And, and to have a conversation with 13 police chiefs as they're looking to find ways to reform some of the policies in these police departments that need to be reformed and then hopefully enacting those reformations in every police department in the state of Florida and wanting community input and community involvement and, and having opportunities to speak into that. Beloved, listen, the church should not be cowarding in this moment. The church should be running into this moment because we got real good news. We know every police department has their flaws for sure. And so our hope is not fully in the Reformation Police Department, although we fight for that. Our hope is in a God that's coming to renew ultimately and once and for all, all things. But until he shows up, he has called us to work. And so we work for justice. There's others and I can go on. But here's a better question. Where are you in this? Where are you in this? How are you pursuing it? Where is it showing up? And again, I want to remind you, we do this not because we're trying to earn our own righteousness. I'm not putting those people I named on a pedestal. They are all sinners in need of God's grace. We're, we're stumbling into this. My work with, with the police chief, I'm stumbling into this thing. God's gracious so I can stumble boldly. We're not doing this for salvation. That's clear. We're doing this from salvation, from a place of being saved. So where are we going for the rest of the series? Week one is going to be, we just covered the God of justice. Week two, uh, the injustice of racism, right? How do we address that? Week three, systems of injustice that prey upon the poor and the oppressed and marginalized. Then week four, we'll deal with the injustice against women. I think just historically, uh, the injustices that have happened against women and how do we address that biblically? Number five, week five, injustice of the outsider, the foreigner, the, the, the immigrant. What does the gospel call us to do in that case, right? Not just what's on the left and what's on the right. 
what is our gospel motivation and action in cases like that? Right. And then week six, we're going to have a panel and we're just going to talk about gospel fellowship step forward uh, as we move into the things of justice. OK, last but definitely not least, I was thinking about this and I wanted to make sure that I said this and I didn't end the video and then be wondering why I didn't say it later. Kind of a pastoral moment. Um, we believe that God's called Gospel Fellowship to be a church that pursues diversity. Um, it is a core value of ours, it's a core value of mine, it's a core value of your elders. Um, and we believe that. And we believe it so much that even in a time like this, we haven't changed our mind. Several convictions, Acts chapter 10, Ephesians chapter 2, Revelation chapter 7, Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we can go on and on. Genesis chapter 12, God's called us to be a nation that, a people that embrace the differences in how he's wired people. So that includes black, white, Asian, Hispanic, we want you at Gospel Fellowship. People on the left, people on the right, we want you at Gospel Fellowship. Uh, the educated, the uneducated, um, the rich, the poor, we want to be a church that are making space for all people to come and be a part. And here's what that means. This was an all black church or all white church. This sermon would be a whole lot easier. But we're not pursuing that. And so in the pursuit of diversity, here's what we must do. We have to create space for people to grow into a biblical understanding of justice at different times. We have to extend grace and patience to the people in this church. You may say, well, Rodney, how could someone think the way they're thinking or post the way they're posting? But didn't you have a jacked up way of thinking at one point, too? And aren't you glad God didn't put you out or cancel you on his social media feed? A platform. Aren't you glad that he didn't unfriend you? He was patient. He was kind. And he was loving until you understood better. And that's the same kind of patience I need you to give to your neighbor in this church and that your neighbor needs to give to you. Now we do that with grace and truth. Some things need to be confronted. And when that's the case, we pick up the phone and have conversations. Say that again. We pick up the phone and have conversations because of COVID. I'm not saying do stuff face to face. But because we love one another, we don't just cancel one another. We are long suffering with one another. And that's with grace and truth. So there's times where correction is needed. And by God's grace, have that conversation. But we do it in a way that is loving and gracious. Your elders are here for you as well.